Just look at this studio filled with fabulous prizes. Ooh. All waiting to be won on Score North's... Pick your prize! Behind door number one is a $10,000 gift card to Chanhassen Dinner Theaters for shows, concerts, food, and beverage. Ooh. Door number two has $10,000 in home improvements for your kitchen, bathroom, windows, and more from Minnesota Rusco and Companies. Ah. And behind door number three, LASIK eye procedure from Dr. Lovanoff at Ovo LASIK and Lens. And a fantastic vacation. No surprise zoinks. What you want, you pick. 14 prizes in all, each valued at $10,000. Sign up for Score North's Pick Your Prize. You can register daily through the Score North app or go to scorenorth.com keyword prize. Sweepstakes begins March 18th. Special thanks to our prize partners. Mackie and Judd start right about now. They should change that copy to, how do you win on the road? Don't ask the Timberwolves. No? Okay. That's good, good, no, good oh, stuff. That's so really, that I fell like, flat. Can I most of Judd's jokes? Maybe might, you should start over forward. right now. Okay. I'm sorry. My jokes exceed that, David. They lost to the Bulls said, on the road yeah. on Friday. All right. Okay. Right. See you guys. Bye. That's fine. That's fine. Just That's okay. Fly ball to left field. Gardner's back, and it's gone. Dozier leads off the game with a home run for the Twins. Swing and a miss. Mustaka strikes out one away. Good slider down and in, and Santana picks up his first strikeout. Two on and two out. Two and zero on D Gordon. Marte at shortstop. All right, before we dive into uh, three segments of Vikings here with Matthew Collar and some film breakdowns, big Vikings offseason needs, we have a lot more twin speculation from now until 1 o'clock. And because pitchers and catchers are reporting today in Fort Myers, Florida, Judd Zolgad is here. We're going to throw the old ball around a lot for the first segment today. Good morning, America. Let's dive baby. in, baby. Let's make it official here. All right. Set us up here. What right. are we going to dive into? Here's what we're going to dive into with uh, pitchers and catchers reporting today in Fort Myers. We're going to dive into the confidence and concern on the Twins. And now I was thinking last night. This is like a modified version of our Viking segments yeah, from two years which ago. Which also involved curiosity. Okay. Now, there's not a curiosity angle to this. And I also uh, decided to divide this into three players on each side because we know that starting pitching is a concern. We know that the bullpen has probably, probably gone more towards the confidence side. So what I'm going to give you well, is... Fernando Rodney's going to make you question well, that at times, but that, that's fine. And that's very fair. Do you want me to start with the good or the bad? Do you want the confidence? Let's start with the good. Okay. We're feeling good. It's pitch. All right. It's a new season. Pitchers and catchers reporting. Twins shot at the playoffs. Chris Archer rumors. It's, it's a feel-good time right. for the Twins right now. Uh, my confidence when it comes to a veteran player has to be expressed in Brian Dozier. And I know that Dozier, uh, what, a couple of years ago, he had the terrible first half of the season. Uh, a couple of years before that, he had the same uh, type of thing. Although, no, I think two years ago, he had the terrible second half. It's and, hard. It was like three straight seasons of anyway, Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. Anyway, if you look at the statistics, he now averages 34 home runs over the past three years. He's coming off a season in which he won his first gold glove at second base. He has proven to be extremely durable. He's played in in uh, north of 150 games the past four years. 
So there might be stretches where he goes bad, but I think he has turned the corner going into the last year of his confidence or of his wow. contract. What, wow. What if, it's, what if it's the last contract. year of his confidence? Well, if it's last year of his confidence, we're in big trouble. But that's I a think, good thing his contract's expiring. I think, I think he's turned the corner into a area of confidence. Uh, he, by the way, if you want to go into the, uh, the metrics, which I love to do, mm-hmm. he's been one of the most valuable I position players in baseball the last four seasons. Yes. Culminating with the last two, yes, and uh, and he plays Gold Glove caliber defense. He won the Gold Glove award. Uh, yes, although I think there are probably better defensive second baseman, but he's but he's, he's in that mix. Very good. He's very good. And I'm a little surprised that there hasn't been more discussion about a contract extension or or his future. I mean, he's going in. Him and Joe Mauer, and Joe Mauer is who knows what's going to happen with him after the year. But Brian Dozier is still in his prime. I wouldn't be averse to maybe offering him like a three-year deal. Offer him, a, I mean, it's going to be fifteen or twenty million dollars a year minimum for his caliber of player and his position, though. Because that's it, the only thing. His last contract was at a complete bargain, right? Because yeah, he's we making nine, I say nine million dollars yeah. this coming season. Yes. Confidence number two is a newcomer, and this is why I like the bullpen a lot more. This, to me, among the offseason additions, is easily the best one so far. The two-year, $16.8 million contract for Addison Reed. He had 19 saves in 77 appearances last season, split between the Mets and the Red Sox. I think all the saves came with the Mets. He could be the closer on this team, but I like the fact that he's not going to be. He's going to become this new-age fireman. You come in in the 7th or 8th, potentially in the ninth at times, and you get key outs. Addison Reed is, to me... Among the additions made, and there aren't a ton of them, is the key one made by the Twins. Uh, yes, I, I agree with that. He's been one of the most reliably good relievers in baseball the last three and a half seasons, maybe four. But the last the last three seasons, multiple teams. Uh, he's been, The only thing is he's, he's racked up a lot of innings the last few years, too. Mm-hmm. But he's only 29 years old, and I'm with you. The term closer is antiquated now. Your best reliever oftentimes isn't being saved until the ninth inning. You know, if, I, I'd rather have my inferior guy, which if you're ranking the Twins relievers, Addison Reed is number one in terms of trustworthiness. Absolutely. And Fernando Rodney might not even be number two. It might be Trevor Hildenberger. But let's say Fernando Rodney is number two. I'd rather him get the last three outs with a two or three run cushion in the ninth than come in with two runners on and the middle of the order coming up because he's not the Twins' best reliever. So, like, they misused Glenn Perkins a lot over his five-year run as one of the most dominant relievers in baseball because they had this closer mindset. Well, we got to wait. We got to save Perk until the ninth. Right. And so we're going to bring in some slappy from AAA, Michael Tonkin, to get rocked with the bases loaded to Miguel Cabrera up. No more. In their defense, though, that just started to change in about the past three or four years, right? Well, for them, yeah. Well, no, but I'm saying the team team started to go with, we're we're actually going to go with the fireman concept. And bring in a guy in the seventh to get it's, the key out in the last four or five years. But that's, I mean, that's baseball being slow to adapt and, and fear of being criticized by Chuck, antiquated journalists. Wait, did you just say baseball slow to adapt? In a lot of ways, they haven't been, but in a lot of ways, they have. I mean, you know, baseball actually was the first digital streaming platform in uh, all the major I sports think, 12 years ago. But when it comes to, like, figuring out where to put your best relievers, I, took them 100 years to figure it out. I think as a league, they actually adapt pretty well. I think when it comes to individual people trying to adapt within the game, that's much sure. more difficult for them. And finally, the confidence that I'm going to express in this young man is assuming that he has turned a corner offensively, Byron Buxton. 
Byron Buxton from April through the end of June last year hit 195 with four homers, drove in 14 runs, and struck out 80 times, drew uh, 22 walks. From July through the end of the season, Byron Buxton rebounded to hit 309 with 12 home runs, drove in 37 runs, uh, still struck out 70 times, drew 16 walks, but also stole 16 bases in that time. If Byron Buxton has offensively turned a corner, and I'm not even saying he has to be great. I'm saying if he's turned a corner to being consistently competent, he is an all-star every year for about the next six years. Yeah, I mean, he he's going to be the best defensive outfielder for probably the next five years. And Kevin Kiermeyer is still young, but he, so he's going to be in that mix until the speed starts to run out a little bit. Center fielders, once they get to their late 20s, the speed starts to run out, like Torrey Hunter. Mm-hmm. But he's got about five years of gold gloves every year or knocking on the door. If he can just be a 270 hitter who gets on base and hits for some power and steal some base, he'll get MVP votes. Absolutely. Yes. If he can reach his full offensive potential, which he did the second half last year, he'll win an MVP award. Yes. Uh, I don't know if I would put him in the confident well, bin but, offensively, but but here's, hopeful for sure. But here's why: if if he can hit 260, his defense is so good that that he saves games. He basically saves games. His defense. The two most underappreciated, I think, athletes in this town right now are probably Cat uh, uh, and Buxton. And Buxton's is based on defense. He makes catches now, and we're like, yeah, oh, nice catch. No, it's not a nice catch. Almost no one else in the game today makes that catch. Well, he makes. That's he, why my confidence is so high. He he he'll he'll camp underneath line drives and fly balls that twenty other outfielders don't even get to. Absolutely. And yes. uh, ding, yeah. all right, so that's ding. the positive. Okay, three that you're concerned about. Okay, my uh, my top concern is going to come as no surprise. Miguel Sano. Thad Levine uh, basically admitted to a question that you asked him on the show last week that we're trying we're trying to get this right. And Molitor, in his uh, Q and A with Murph in the Pioneer Press on Sunday, said the exact same thing, which is which is code for we are trying desperately to get through to him. Because if we don't get through to him, he's going to be a very nice player. If we do get through to him and he gets it, and this is this is not just one thing. This is, can you keep your weight down during the season? Do, do you understand that you are extremely gifted, but if you use those gifts correctly, you're going to be a potential Hall of Fame player and a perennial all-star? Miguel Sano is my number one on this list because this is the season that I'm convinced in which we find out, is this a guy who's going to be potentially great or is this a guy who's just going to hit lots of impressive home runs and he's going to be good, but he's going to move to first base in 2019 and in 2020 he's going to be a DH and in 2022 he's going to be a fat slob who hits home runs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here is the list of players the last three years with at least 1,000 plate appearances who have more strikeouts or a higher strikeout rate than Miguel Snow. Are you ready for it? Go. Okay. Number one. Here's the list. There is nobody. Miguel Snow has one. the highest strikeout rate of any hitter in baseball the last three years. It's 36% of his plate appearances. You're not going to be the perennial MVP candidate that your skill set may be you know, warrants striking out that often. And it's incredible because you watch him take at bats Yep, and he'll take some amazingly disciplined at bats where he'll lay off a slider two inches off the corner, two and two tough slider. He won't even flinch at it. And then there's other at bats where he just like swings and misses at three straight fastballs because he made up his mind going up to the plate. 
Uh, by the way, the other hitters in that category, so if you strike out that much, here are the other hitters in that category. Mm-hmm. Mike Zanino, Mariners, he's a 213 hitter who runs into a fastball once in a while. Chris Davis, a 234 hitter who has 111 home runs over the last three years. So you'll take the power, but Chris Davis is a corner guy slash DH yes. who just hits home runs. Yep. Uh, Chris Carter is in that category. 73 Another home runs the last three years. Yep. Who just hits home runs. And uh, let's see here. There's a couple outfielders like Michael Taylor with the Nationals who hits 245. Put it this way. If you strike out that often, your batting average ain't going to be near 300. Mm-hmm. So if and if you want to win MVP awards, you need to get on base near a 400 clip. You got Your batting average has to be better, and that leads to more runs produced. So Miguel Sano, Miguel Sano I'm with you on that one. Is number right. one. Number two on my list, uh, 35-year-old starting pitcher Irvin Santana. He's, uh, so he had finger surgery in the past week or so. He's uh, definitely going to open the year on, on the DL. He's not going to pitch until May at the earliest. 16-8, and 3.28 ERA, five complete games and 35 starts in 2017. And yet I feel that he is due for a step back. He's going to be hurt to start the season. He was really good last year, but he's getting up there in age. I think if you could slot him in, Phil Mackey, as your as your third starter, maybe second, you'd feel damn good. But if you need him to come back and be your ace, or if you say if you say to him, "We need you to repeat what you did last year," that's a lot to ask. And to use your term, I see a regression here. That's a concern to me. It is. I, I will say, so his expected ERA is uh, is like a run and a half higher or was last year than his actual ERA, which is, which is twofold. Number one, if you play with an outstanding set of defenders behind you, there's going to be a gap between what, what your expected ERA is and what it actually is. So he doesn't have to apologize for having Byron Buxton track down line drives in the gap. That's what he gets going into 2018 as well. Uh, but his age... And also maybe some luck factor from last year where he had the highest left on base rate of his entire career to this point. You're not going to leave 80% of runners on base again. I mean, right. it's just you can't expect to lean on that on a regular basis. So I'm with you. I think if he settles in, if you add another pitcher via trade or free agency that can be a playoff rotation guy. And now and Barrios is maybe taking a step forward at age 23, 24. Um he can settle in as a number three guy that doesn't have to be your he wasn't ever a true ace. He pitched above his head last year, mm-hmm. and he shouldn't have to apologize for it. But you can't expect that year after year. And my final concern is going to come as no surprise. We brought him up before. He's going to be 41 on March 18th. Hello, Fernando Rodney. <laughs> Let's review <laughs> Fernando Rodney's April of last season, shall we? There's a couple. You could do this with a couple stretches for him last year. Fernando Rodney uh, pitching for the Arizona Diamondbacks, for whom he had 39 saves, by the way. Got off to a rather rocky start in the opening month of the season. 12.6 ERA. He had given up 14 runs, earned runs, I should say. 15 total, 14 earned in 10 innings of work. In a month. In a month. That you gave up 15 runs in a month. 39, closer. 39 saves, and he gave up so many runs in April that he ended the season for Arizona with a 4.23 ERA. Fernando Rodney, folks, he's going to come to the mound with a sideways hat. That's going to make us Midwesterners very upset, right? A gas can and a matchbook. Why does that man have his hat sideways? Oh, I can hear the afternoon segments. Oh, the GL, the GLers are going to... Patrick, 
Why does he? Why doesn't he turn his head? Oh, I think straight? Pat, I think Pat will defend him. It's going to be Such. Really? I, I think I his know. first save opportunity as a twin, Such is going to come in. I was watching the game last night, Pat, and I can't. I mean, why do you need to have your hat sideways? Well, he does it for his father. Well, I don't care why. Don't forget Reavers falls squarely on side Such too. Can't we'll get the hat stand straight. it. I'm a baseball purist. Ah. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And Fernando Rodney isn't. The guy no. who's made his entire life playing baseball for for 30 plus years since he was like nine years old. Wouldn't happen with the Redbirds. But that's good. It's, going, yeah. it's going to be a thing, right? It's going to be a thing. It's been a thing. Of course, it's it's thing. Thing. Of course it's the day they thing, signed yeah. him, it was a thing. Uh, Is amazing. he the guy that cocks the hat? Yeah. I don't like that. Yes. How dare he cock the oh, hat man. like that? It's going to be even more of a thing when he's like when he's getting whiplash from watching the three run homer go say. by. Wait till April. Oh my god! Uh, but he will give you stretches for a month and a half still, where he's throwing 95, 98 miles an hour and allowing nothing. You're just gonna have to live with it. All right, much more. I've got more uh, meat on the bone for this Chris Archer stuff too. What the Twins should do. And uh, we can get to that maybe later in the show here. I don't know. In the did you print out hot sheets by the way? Did you print out show schedules? No, he didn't. Oh, and did I'm I forget to do that? Blind here. Oh, I've got them. I'm sorry, I forgot. I had a lot going. Did on Did you only this print morning. them for yourself? No, no, no. I've got my notes of confidence and concern. I forgot to print out the hot. So it sheet. was all about you, though. Oh, yeah. I'd like to wow. apologize. I completely forgot. It's been Judd's role. You had one job. I had one for what four is, years. What is it to that print I say out I the show here. schedule? I forgot to print out the show schedule. I don't even know what the hell's next. Collar's in here, but it, what, we, we don't have the schedule. Sitting, he's just sitting. Is here. he Who scheduled to be on the show? Uh, hold on a second. Let me. Oh yeah, he is. All right, right fine. We'll, we'll speculate on Vikings. I'll do it during the break. Uh, you know, I know someone who would never forget to print out a schedule or be organized. It's Chris Lindall. That's because he heads the number one Remax results team in America, and marketing is a big reason why. In fact, as a thank you to the fifteen hundred ESPN and Mackie and Judd listeners who've responded to these Chris Lindall messages in a big way the last month or two. Chris Lindahl is going to list your house for free. You have a chance to win a free listing side commission. Between now and March 16th, all you have to do is call 763-401-SOLD or go to chrislindahl.com, that's Chris with a K, to enter. So that includes all the bells and whistles that go along with the Chris Lindahl marketing experience, uh, an amazingly large internal database, social media. You see all the billboards around town as well. This guy and his team, Chris Lindahl, know how to market your home and create a competitive environment that could bring you tens of thousands of dollars more on the sale of your home. Hey, take it from my experience a year ago. 763-401-SOLD. ChrisLindahl.com. That's Chris with a K. All right, listen up. Pay attention. Mackie and Judd are back. Action. On 1500 ESPN. Wow. Thank God. Are we all good now? Judd finally printed the show schedule. I mean. Yep. Yep. We're mostly good. I'm seeing typos on this thing already. From uh, 9.15 Whoa. to 10, there's just a picture of a football. That's all there should it's be. just a giant. It's very appropriate. Pig skin. I mean, Judd books a vacation and mentally checks out. I, I really know. do. I, don't know what to think I about really this. apologize. For I this. Feel finish like strong, Judd. Finish I, strong. I Judd Wade made one very inappropriate joke pre-show, and he felt his day was done after that. If we all <laughs> gave him a nice laugh, he actually did something funny. And what did I? I don't even remember now. Ah, uh, the one about where you're staying on your vacation. Oh, that. Oh, yeah. Okay, whatever. That wasn't. I didn't think that. It was wasn't that inappropriate. that inappropriate. It was actually it was mostly, true for me. I think it was. Well, I think you can bring this up on the air. Matthew Collar, by the way, from the Purple Podcast and 1500ESPN.com. 
So we asked Judd's going to Chicago for a little uh, little getaway here later this week. Mm-hmm. And so we asked Judd, what, like, where are you staying? Are you staying downtown? Where are you staying? And he goes, oh, we're staying at this hotel off Michigan. It's right. Ne- and like immediately without breaking stride. It's the hotel next to the one where Daryl Kyle died. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's like, inappropriate. Oh, okay. It's true. He died in the Westin, and everyone knows that for the most part, and we're staying right near there. It sounds I did like not that's that, the reason that. you booked that hotel. Oh, no, I'm just saying. You want to be as close as possible to the death of Daryl Kyle. No, no, in my mind, it was just a point of reference to, hey, we're staying, and, the, and there's a Westin right there, and that's where Daryl Kyle and that's the Cardinals great. were when he passed away, and they canceled that's the game that Saturday. Nice. That's all. Nice. Uh, have fun telling your wife that story as you walk I've by. I've told her before. Okay. Oh, yeah. She knows it. So, football. Football. All right, football. <laughs> well, Matthew Collar. Uh, let's let's start here. So, have you how much film crunching of John uh, D Filippo offenses have you done in the last few days? I mostly looked at the red zone uh the other day for a piece, spent some time watching every Eagles touchdown and found a lot of the same great things that were in Pat Shermer's red zone strategy. Um John D Filippo and this might be one of the reasons they like him. It, that they were looking for a guy that brought a lot of the same things to the table. I mean, we heard about uh, in the conference call his sort of philosophy of listening to his players, which I think you need to have for this. And then looking at the red zone, a lot of the same creativity was there. They ran a read option for a touchdown. They had a lot of rub plays, a lot of... uh, you know, the personnel changes, a lot of pre-snap movement that threw off the other teams. I mean, there's one touchdown where they send uh, Elshon Jeffrey in motion and the San Diego Chargers just cannot figure out who's going to guard who in man coverage. Because what, what you can do is send somebody in motion and then as soon as they get to their spot, you snap it. So you give the other team no time to communicate. I got this guy, you got that guy, and that's how we're going to adapt. And the Chargers had two guys cover the running back out of the backfield, Elshon Jeffries' wide-open touchdown. And it happened over and over and over and over again. And then you see them with LeGarrette Blunt using him as the guy to run over people, which I would assume that's why Latavius Murray will be back next year because even though Delvin Cook, too, can run over people, uh, it's nice to be able to rotate those guys in, and Latavius Murray has proven to do it. So I, I think what you're seeing is they got a younger version of, of Pat Shermer here. And, and, and I know it's Doug Peterson who was designing those plays and calling those plays in the red zone, but I would guess John Filippo will bring a lot of that over to Minnesota. And I'll, I'll go back to what I think uh, is the most important thing here that Shermer had that Norv didn't. Were they're not the Vikings did not hire somebody with a system bound and determined to install that and mm-hmm. that alone. And I think if Zimmer learned one thing that's important uh, from hiring coordinators and assistant coaches, I think it's this. He is an incredibly flexible coach himself. Defensively, he takes his personnel right and molds it and says, okay, I run a system, but I'm also going to tailor that system to what my personnel does best. He went out and hired Norv thinking, I need a veteran coordinator on the offensive side of the ball who can do his thing. What he learned was if you get that guy, that guy lots of times says, okay, I'm coming in and I'm I'm going to run my system. I think when you now transfer uh, from Shermer to where they're going to be now, you once again have a coordinator who's extremely flexible and can change things based on what he's given. Yep, and uh, phil- philosophically, I think that they're probably similar in terms of using a lot of the West Coast concepts and things like that. 
So one of the things you always worry about when you bring in a new offensive coordinator, and I heard you guys go through them the other day that we had a good one and then a bad one came in right after almost every single time. Well, I mean, maybe part of that is uh, that you try to have someone who comes in and changes what you're going to do. But I think that they're going to stick with a lot of the same West Coast concepts and they're going to do whoever their quarterback is. They're going to do a lot of the things that that quarterback feels very comfortable with and that to me, is probably what made him one of the best candidates that they could find. Plus, it is darn impressive working with Nick Foles and taking him to a Super Bowl victory, even though he's probably better than we all thought going into the playoffs. I know that I thought, oh, yeah, go to Philadelphia. That'll be great. You just beat Nick Foles' face in, and that'll be all. But, I mean, he played a lot better than we thought. Um, but, But his work with Nick Foles, my guess is he got in that room with Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman and told them the story, here's how we did it, and they were impressed, and knowing whoever their quarterback is going to be, that he's going to have that same approach to working with I think what the Eagles and the Patriots are different in a lot of ways. I think the, the personality of their team is different. Very the Eagles much, are very much very outspoken. Much. But the one area where they're very similar, detail, preparation, and the ability to to retain a ton of knowledge going into a week's preparation and, and a game. And if John Filippo can bring – I mean, there was the story that came out a couple months ago that he would – take Nick Foles and Carson Wentz, and he would give them a 30- to 40-page quiz on Friday before each game. And then at the end, he'd have, like, fun trivia, so it wouldn't just be a drill, so I'm going to quiz you every Mm -hmm. week. It would be Mm -hmm. kind of fun. And it would be, all right, if this is the defensive look you get and this is the offensive play set, and this happens right before you snap the ball, what do you do? All right, if 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 you see this look from a safety over here, and it's just every possible scenario, and I'm sure other teams do similar things, but... Just speaking to what Philadelphia does, I love the preparation, reportedly, that John D. Filippo brings to the table. And I think that's going to be really important if Teddy Bridgewater is the guy, too, because you're going to want to develop him and you're going to want to play to his strengths. Well, it's really interesting that you bring up the difference between the two teams because I was listening to Joe Thomas's podcast, the future Hall of Fame left tackle for the Browns, and Andrew Hawkins is on it with him. Hawkins played in the NFL for a while, including for the Patriots, and they were talking about the Patriot way and how everybody tries to copy it and things like that. But basically, because you don't have Tom Brady and because it hasn't been in place for a long time or anything like that, it doesn't sit well with most people. In fact, players who come in from the outside often find that they're not a huge fan of it and would prefer to play for other teams. It works for some people and it doesn't work for other people. I think what Mike Zimmer found out last year is that this team does not is not the type of team that you need to try to go all Bill Parcells on. That basically, like Bill Belichick has carried over a lot of that Parcells, be extremely hard on everybody, have zero fun all the time, that sort of stuff. And, and I think the Eagles went the opposite way. Basically, we're going to have lots of fun. We're going to wear the dog masks. We're going to talk smack and all those things. And we're going to have a, a lot of personality to our team. And I think that the Vikings, even though they do have a lot of low key guys, I also think that they were allowed last year to show a little more of that personality as they were winning, and that's probably a better fit for them than it is just having this hard attitude and just demanding uh, that you're going to be a certain way. Don't you guys think, though, that that Belichick, uh, the Belichick that we never see is different? See, I think Belichick, the perception that, that we have is a hard-ass coach who doesn't have fun. But then when you get glimpses of him personality-wise just every once in a while, 
He's a different guy. I think he looked at Parcells, and I think he's a really, really smart guy. And I think he he looked at Parcells and learned from that. I don't think he runs. I think the perception outwardly in in the league is if I I want to copy Belichick, I got to be a mean, yeah. tough ass. I don't think he's really like that with, I, with his players consistently. I think relative to the rest of the coaches and just hearing stories behind the scenes throughout the years, I think he's much more serious and much more mm-hmm. much more Bill Parcellsy than the other thirty one head coaches. Do I think he's super monotone and low-key the way he is to the media, to his team? No, there's a middle ground. But his players aren't wearing dog masks and and speaking out. Can you imagine some of the quotes you're yeah. hearing from Philadelphia throughout the season and after the game? Even yeah. like after the Patriots win a Super Bowl. You don't get five guys going but, on national talk platforms and wearing but, you know gesture uniforms. To where the- he's good, he gets a buy-in. And that's the most important thing. And with, with Zim last year, they didn't buy in. And that, so there, there's a very fine line there of, of if I can galvanize the team, that's great. But what I can't do is lose, is lose the team. And you I mean sensed, 2016, And I right? sensed in, in Zimmer in 2016, he lost the team. And to Collar's point, in 2017, he made definite adjustments to that. Well, the way that Andrew Hawkins made it sound, having been there, was that it was kind of militaristic in a way and that it didn't have much of a loose atmosphere and sometimes they would work players so hard that there were that they were there was frustration there but it, the players who had been there for a long time were just like yeah this is how it is and when you win all the time it's very easy to sell oh I'm doing it right because I win all the time because I have Tom Brady more or less and I I think a lot of coaches like you're saying I think they chase that I think they're like yeah I heard this story that Belichick That's what did this did, yes. that that Parcells did this, yep. and this was Zimmer last year. So I'm going to do this. And like, well, yeah, but they had Brady or they had Lawrence Taylor. So they probably won more because they had the great roster and the great players and great scheme than they did all these ridiculous methods like hanging the mouse traps. I mean, that's funny because it's a trap game or whatever, but it doesn't make a damn bit of difference whether you win or not. And and Zimmer last year shredding a team that had gone 5-0 and for their first loss in a tough environment with no tackles, I, I mean, I think that that hurt them right off the bat. I mean, maybe he thought that that was a Parcelsy thing to do. I'm just going to trash the team, and that'll get him going. But that's not really what works. Did you guys see last night? That Steve Kerr had his yeah. players coach half the game. Okay, the outrage that followed as I scrolled through just Twitter and articles this morning. How can he disrespect the Suns? Because and they're I, terrible. Right. If well, here's the thing. This if, is a disrespect league in the NBA. You dunk the ball and you point at the guy and you jump over him. So he was what? asked after the game, why you know, why did you have your players draw up all the plays and basically coach the game? Because that's said, awesome. Well, he said, so he said, because I haven't been able to get to them much in the last month. Yeah. If I could translate for Steve Kerr, I would say well, quite frankly, uh, we are the greatest collection of talent to ever play in the NBA, and we're still about three months out from our first relevant postseason series. Yeah. We're really bored, it was and we knew we were going to beat the Suns by 100 points anyway. It was completely anyways. genius. Oh, I love it. It's a genius yeah. move I by loved Steve it. Kerr. And, and, also, and also recognizing and acknowledging, and he always is doing this, Steve Kerr, and I think a lot of the best coaches now do this, and Doug Peterson does this, when you recognize that today's athlete is incredibly well-versed in the game. Most of them know everything that's going on. The veteran players, Andre Iguodala's drawing up plays. That guy has been in the NBA for how long? He knows the game. He could draw up plays. And so you recognize 
that you guys all know the game too. You guys can all lead, and you give that opportunity to them. And if the Suns had a very, very easy way to avoid being disrespected, it's called don't lose by so much. Don't lose it's, by 40. It's very easy. Uh, and, how about somebody, maybe one of the Timberwolves players, can drop a play that doesn't involve Jimmy Butler dribbling for the last 20 seconds no. and jacking up a contested shot. Jimmy I love Jimmy Butler, but for God's sakes. Let's come back. Uh, Purple Podcast is where you can find Matthew Collar, and he has all kinds of stuff on 1500ESPN.com, including, when we get back here, the Vikings' five biggest needs this offseason. The league year turns over in, like, in fact... It's a month from tomorrow when free agents can officially start signings. So let's dive into some of that speculation next. Phil Mackey. He tells you things, and you're like, oh, wow, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Judd Zolgad. One of the greatest screwballs I ever met in my life, but uh, interesting fellow. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Come on! Football! Football. Hey, can I hit that quarterback in the face? I want to do it. At 1500ESPN.com, where Matthew Collar lives, also on the Purple Podcast, you can find the Vikings' five biggest needs this offseason. Starting quarterback is obviously number one, because they don't have anybody under contract. But how would you uh, handicap the other biggest needs for the Vikings? And what should they do about those needs, Matthew? Let's dive into some reckless Viking speculation here. I go back and forth between guard and defensive tackle and improving the skill positions around Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, and Delvin Cook. It's a great setup, but past that, it's a little shaky. Guard is probably number one, but I could also put guard slash tackle here. And I think that there is a possibility that they draft a tackle in the first round and move Mike Remmers to right guard. When he played there in week 17, he was really, really good. On the left side in the playoffs, I thought Zimmer over overthought that one. I, I thought that he should have moved Joe Berger to the left side, a guy with much more experience doing that sort of thing. Um, but when Remmers played Week 17, I looked back at that pretty closely, and he played against, I, oh, it's the Bears. Yeah, it's the Bears' best player, though. Akeem Hicks, he went up against, and they had a good defense, and he had a good, he had a good day. He's quick enough. He's really powerful, especially in run blocking. I like him at that spot. And if you draft a first-round tackle, uh, you might be – have, you might pick a guy that you could eventually move to the left side if if you feel like Riley Reef is a better fit long-term at right tackle or something like that. It gives you a lot of options if you do that, although the draft class this year for guards is really good. So if you draft a guy 30th, it would be like last year drafting a guy in the top 10 or, or something like that. It would be like getting the best guy from last year where it was kind of a, a shaky offensive line draft. And then there's there's free agents that they could possibly go out and get, but I'm looking mostly here at the draft for getting the next starter on the offensive line. But I think what the Eagles showed us is you can just never have enough of those guys that you, when you have you got to have depth and you got to have talent at the positions and you should invest whatever you can. Mm -hmm. So even if it means throwing even more money at Andrew Norwell, who is the best offensive line guy out there, he's from Carolina, even if it meant that, I mean, you could just never pour enough into the offensive and defensive line. And their cap is going to be, be at what at this point, assuming that they don't go out and sign Cousins? They're going to have about $60 million to work with. Mm -hmm. I think they want to carry some of that over to next year because they're going to have the long-term contract extensions that they're going to have to work out with a bunch of star players. So you can't go nuts. But I, I think there's enough room to make one big move. 
whether it's Norwell or the other guy to look at would be Sheldon Richardson at the defensive tackle position. Sheldon Richardson is a bit of a head case, but he is a monster. If you were talking about Everson Griffin, Sheldon Richardson, Linval Joseph, and Daniil Hunter, that is terrifying for opposing teams. And they just watched the Philadelphia Eagles win the Super Bowl with great offensive and defensive line play. So I would expect them to continue to try to beef both of those up. I also fell in love with the idea of Don Terry Poe and having two nose tackles who can also rush the passer. See, that, you know, that, that is one area I think we take for granted sometimes. So the defense is fine. The defense... But you have to look out for age, and you have to look out for certain things. Everson Griffin has been phenomenal. He's 30. Okay. Linval Joseph has been phenomenal. He's still in his late 20s. If you were to add another big-time defensive tackle to that mix, I would not complain. But I'm mostly with you. Because you have questions at quarterback, and your offensive line wasn't as good at the end of the year as it was at the beginning. I mean, Case Keenum was sacked like twice in two months or something, yeah. and then got sacked two or three times or four per game down the stretch. If your big move was even just to to sign another interior offensive lineman, and you short up that, and now your running game is better, and whoever plays quarterback for you is going to have question marks, and they feel more comfortable... Um, that was a big gap between the Vikings and the Eagles, and even the Vikings and the Saints in the second half, too. I so that the, I think you're right. Those are going to be non-sexy, boring acquisitions if they either draft in the first round or sign interior offensive and defensive linemen. Incredibly important. But thing. but probably the most important place is to upgrade the team, for sure. Uh, and the skill positions, too. I, I think the Eagles, we can go off of their blueprint. I think sometimes teams win and you go, oh, they won with defense, so you don't have to have a great quarterback or something like that. Like You can make mistakes when it comes to trying to just judge off the winner. But in this case, they were not satisfied with having just a good tight end and one good wide receiver. They went out and signed Elshon Jeffrey to make sure they had more good wide receivers. They were not satisfied with having two good running backs in Corey Clement and LeGarrette Blunt. They went out and traded for Jay Ajayi. And then they rotated all of these guys. I mean, they had the three tight ends that they were rotating in. Trey Burton is a free agent. I really like him for the Vikings. Overpay for Trey Burton. He ran a 4-6. He's fast. And they can upgrade at that spot for sure. And and even if it's not exactly getting rid of Kyle Rudolph, no, yeah. but having all three of those guys, you have the have one. Because yes. David Morgan was a top 10 tight end last year by Pro Football Focus because his blocking was so good that he was rated. And when they threw him the ball, he was effective. So if you had three of those guys, especially in the red zone, I mean, you're just asking to be dominant there. And I think you need to get a good number three running back I wouldn't have much concern over Delvin Cook's health. Who, I mean, most of these guys have the ACL and then they come back, and he's young, so it should be fine. But you can never have enough guys rotating in and creating different looks and creating. I mean, what I saw in the red zone film was they would put in three tight ends and Legarrette Blunt in the red zone yep. and be like, ah, we're going to run because this is football. Here's our big footballer back here. And then they'd run play action to guys wide open. Mm-hmm. right? And and we saw Pat Shermer do that a lot last year. So I think that they can add some of these more pieces, maybe even Darren Sproles. He was injured this year, but he can still play. And McKinnon's almost certainly gone, receiver. right? Like McKinnon's going to make $5 million as a, like a, either a, 
tandem starter or maybe even more of a featured yeah, guy. Yeah, I think McKinnon will have a ton of interest, so he probably will go. But, I, I mean, you'd love to bring him back and have all three of these guys still. You, you know, you don't worry about, oh, there's only one football or how are we going to get everybody the ball? Like, no, no, no. People will get hurt yeah. or you can find different ways to use them. So you want to stack up, and that could mean even getting a number three wide receiver too. I feel like a tight end and wise, the Vikings are very solid there, circa two thousand eight ish. Like yeah, I feel like the yeah. positions evolved, and and their players aren't bad there. But if you look at where the tendency with that position is going, which is a hybrid now, yep. that they're not there. Uh, and the quickness of someone like Trey Burton would be a big deal because uh, where you saw Zach Ertz and what a great detailed route runner he was. That route he ran on He's, Harrison Smith was phenomenal. And, and and that was all season for him. There there were some that they used in the red zone that were really phenomenal post routes, but they start looking they start out like it's going to be a, a corner route. So he takes off and runs to kind of the outside shoulder of the defender and then just breaks back inside. And the defender doesn't really expect that from a tight end. And he's got position on him because he's a mammoth person. And then he's got great hands and all those things. Burton's even faster. So that would give you kind of this these options that they've wanted by drafting Bucky Hodges and Michael Pruitt. Except for those guys were what they call bad at football. So they couldn't even make the team and stick around. Burton's a good football player. Now, he might look for a place where he's going to be the number one tight end because he probably deserves that. Uh, but maybe if you overpay and bring him his old quarterback coach there, because he, he could play quarterback too, as we learned in the Super Bowl. Um, it's true. It's a good point. I, I really like overpaying another tight end. You can treat him like your number three wide receiver, essentially, and run two tight end personnel all the time. So you can hammer the run, but you also have this guy who's basically a wide receiver because he's so fast. Uh, worth noting, by the way, Kyle Rudolph, who's uh, he's only 28 still. So he's still, you know, he's got some prime years left, but he has. So his cap hit is seven point six million dollars this year and next year. But the only money that you would owe him as far as guaranteed money is $1.3 million in 2018. Yep. So he's either up for a restructure, a restructure contract starting very soon, or if they really wanted to, if they wanted to save $7.5 million to the cap, well, minus the $1.3, so $6.5 million, they could part ways with Kyle Rudolph if he doesn't want to restructure. I would That's something to watch this offseason. Surprised that they did that this year. Next year, I believe there's no dead hit. Correct. Money, and yes. it's seven point seven million. So, so that's, that's for sure not gonna yeah. be yep. the money that he makes in two thousand nineteen. And that's where when you're talking about Kirk Cousins, the money is so insane that you think, Oh man, you'd have to lose everybody. But there are options like that where you could restructure especially a guy like Kyle Rudolph. I don't see any way he's making seven point seven million dollars with the type of production that he has, which is pretty good. But not being a dynamic player, he's pretty much a one-dimensional player. And he showed again this year, even though they talked about him improving blocking, it was still not good. So, I mean, I think that David Morgan could honestly do a lot of the same things that Rudolph does. If you threw the ball to him 90 times in a season yeah. like you do to Rudolph, right? And he's got hands. He played wide receiver to start uh, in college. So it's not like Morgan doesn't have hands. And he's a tank, so he's not going to get open deep, but neither does Rudolph, really. I mean, I... I but I'd prefer that they had all three because they can't afford Rudolph this year. Yeah, Matthew Collar with us. By the way, uh, congratulations. You are the new co-host of Saturday Morning Sports Talk, taking over for Patrick Ricey. You guys uh, got along well for two hours, didn't fight or anything. You guys were good on Saturday? We were very good, I thought. Nice. I think our relationship is still reeling from the time in Philadelphia. That was a lot of time Just, together. Close quarters. Yeah. 
Same hotel room. Everything changed. So many trips to Ruby Tuesdays. You know, yeah. for some reason. Four straight still days got my new Tuesdays. socks, though, and I love my new those socks. Are, yeah, those are great socks. Although I did realize one bad thing. They're women's socks. That's not bad. I don't care. I wear my I wife. Dawn said those, you just bought girl socks. I wear my <laughs> wife's socks. They're really comfortable. They breathe. There's a lot of information being shared right now that you know, probably so shouldn't I, be very shared. Personal I, moment. I took a picture from the hotel. Judd's shoes are just like on the thing that holds the TV. Like the the TV stand, yeah. they're just up on, like to have them next up to the TV. You put them Untied. up on the yeah. Why? Why not put them on the floor? That's disgusting. I like to have them prepared right there so I can see them and then drop them to the floor and they're untied Why do you just and see I can them? step just right in. I don't floor. know because I'm weird. <laughs> yeah. Don't push me. I don't know why. I just like it. Forty-eight years old. I'm not changing now. Oh my god. And he did take a picture, but he didn't tweet it. Let's talk about TCL TVs for a minute here. We are in the TCL Broadcast Studios with a couple of weirdos, especially Judd. Uh, you know, what really separates TCL is the 4K Roku TV, which gives you four times the picture quality of a standard 1080p high-def TV, sleek design, stunning resolution, and with the built-in Roku, TCL puts all the entertainment and all of your favorites in one place, so no more things to plug into your TV you don't have to worry about the input button or complicated menus, none of that stuff. It's an easy-to-use, personalized home screen. So on one page, so to speak, you get your cable or satellite channels, whatever you subscribe to. And then on the next page, you get the Roku menu, 4,000 streaming channels, and over 450,000-plus movies, TV show episodes. you got to see the award-winning lineup of TCL TVs. Go stop in to a major local retailer here in the Twin Cities or go to TCLUSA.com. TCL is America's fastest-growing TV brand. All right, let's get right to the heart of this thing. Mackie and Judd are back. Awesome. On 1500 ESPN. Chosen, betrayed, redeemed. From the creators of God's Not Dead comes the action-packed epic Samson, starring Billy Zane, Lindsay Wagner, and Taylor James. Don't miss what's being called a powerful must-see film. Samson is in theaters this Friday. Get your tickets at samson.movie and enter to win a pair of passes now on the 1500 ESPN stream player. You should listen to your friend Mackie Billy Zane. two-minute He's a drill. cool dude. Who was it? Say it again. I said you should listen to your friend Billy Zane. <laughs> Billy cool Zane. Dude. That's a <laughs> nice pull. From Zoolander. Nice pull. <laughs> my, my favorite comedy of all time. <laughs> it's um, oh, Billy Zane. <laughs> what has he been doing since Titanic? I laughed out loud in here when he said Billy Zane. Where's he been? Dave, where's he been? He's been doing stuff. No way. No, yeah. He hasn't he's been, been doing anything. He's been great. What is this called? God's Not Dead? No, it's from the creators oh. of God's Not Dead. Oh. This one is right. Samson. My mistake. Samson, Collar. Go see it this Friday in theaters. On Wikipedia, uh, Billy Zane. Billy Zane, man. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while for Billy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, well, he's been back. He was such he's a, been dormant, as they like to say in the business. Not a nice guy in Titanic. He's probably been doing stage acting. Ruined That's what they Never seen it and very proud of that. He's been he's never been seen Titanic. Writing, working on a one man show. <laughs> right, working more behind the camera. Writing a memoir. That's Billy Zane. <laughs> if Billy Zane wrote a memoir, I'd buy it. <laughs> and the scary thing is, you would, you would buy it, and you would read the whole thing, and then you'd come in and talk about it. <laughs> he was a terrible human being in Titanic. He was awful. Oh. He was. He was. Couldn't so even hateable. let the women and children get on the boats right. first. What's your problem, man? What a DB! <laughs> it's ridiculous, man. I love this during the Billy Zane talk.
Who should play quarterback for the Vikings next year, Kyler? Uh, Are you still on uh, the Teddy wagon? So here's uh, he, he only threw 14 touchdown passes a couple years ago. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. So, um, oh, really? I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, they struggled. Big I time. wonder if Mike Zimmer knows that. Mm. Like, if he would change his opinion on loving Teddy Bridgewater forever. Did you he hear the nugget that we scored four, He only threw 14 touchdowns. We uncovered this, so we just to sort of squash the well, he only threw two touchdowns narrative. You know, the they only allowed him on first and goal to throw the ball six times yeah. in one of those years, and five of them were touchdowns. I think Collar so. was here for that second. Yeah, actually. yeah, it was. Just in case people forgot. I mean, the, the the key part of the Teddy Bridgewater was he good? Was he bad? 2015 was they were seventh in the league in scoring percentage of drives. So when he was touching the ball, they were scoring points. And and you've mentioned the third down stuff. He's fantastic on third and long. And there are quarterbacks who people complain about not being clutch or not coming through in, in big situations. And often where you find that is third and long situations. I mean, Alex Smith is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL in his career on third and long. And even though I thought that'd be an okay idea for the Vikings, that's one of the things that would have concerned me. Mm-hmm. If you really need him to win you the game, he often can't do it. And with Teddy Bridgewater, he's proven that he can. And that's why when you hear Mike Zimmer say, well, he's just a winner. He's won all the time. But you can actually look at his skill set and connect what Zimmer is talking about of him being a winner. It's not just some magical thing that Zimmer sees. It's actually you can quantify that in those situations. Uh, so I think that he is the quarterback next year. I like the idea of Teddy Bridgewater and Josh McCown. Josh McCown and Case Keenum were essentially equal quarterbacks last year. Maybe Keenum's a, a, just a touch Touch better. He also had than, much better weapons to work with. Absolutely. And so uh, McCown has had an over 90 rating two of the last three years that he started. And one of them was like a half season bus fire in Cleveland. He's had other times in his career where he's been quite good as well. And he's got previous experience working with John D. Filippo in both Oakland and Cleveland where he played pretty well. He would also come at a very cheap price because I don't see anybody making Josh McCown their starting quarterback again unless they're tanking. And there aren't teams that look like obvious tank jobs in 2018. I think that's a much cheaper option than franchise tagging Case Keenum. And and you get basically a similar skill set quarterback who's very smart, very mature, and would be able to handle it probably better than Case Keenum would handle being the backup. If they went to camp with Bridgewater and Keenum... That would get awkward. Keenum didn't win the job. Yep. I mean, I think you'd have to trade him, but if nobody's quarterback goes down with an ACL, you just have a really awkward yeah, situation. I think, I think I think that's the one to watch. We brought that up a couple days ago, too, or late last week, that McCown, his performance with Filippo in Cleveland, mm-hmm. there's some connections there. We got to run. We're up against the clock, but if you want more... If you want uh, more Billy Zane, look at his Wikipedia... It's fantastic. Or uh, there's like pictures of him with a shaved head on Google Images. That's uh, he used to be a big deal, a man. Deviation from what he looked like in Titanic. He used to be a big deal. Uh, you can find Collar and Judd now Saturday Sports Talk, 10 a.m. to noon. Purple Podcast, 1500ESPN.com. All right, go back to your film room, your Billy Zane film. Bye, room. Billy. Let's come back See here. Ya. Pecking order: athletes who annoy you. Local twist, but some some that branch out beyond that. Athletes who annoy you, Mackie and Judd. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Right now, get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton Shred. Accessories like non-slip grip resistance bands, a heart rate monitor, yoga blocks, and more. Take your workout to the next level with Peloton. Motivation that moves you. Hurry, this limited time offer ends December 25th.
Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access memberships separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.